Off-season rumors aplenty for the basketball boys in red. The Cubs and Brewers might have found their respective grooves for better or for worse. And hold on, what's this? The Packers drafted a wide receiver? Everyone, stay calm. I repeat, stay calm. This is the War on 94 Sports Podcast. Your weekly dose of everything Chicago and Milwaukee sports. Now, here are your hosts, Frank Fernandez and Evan Schlancer. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. Another episode of the War on 94 podcast is here. It's Frank with Evan, as always, here to break down everything in the world of Chicago and Milwaukee sports. Evan, how you feeling? My mood is swinging with every made basket and every missed basket towards the end of this game two here. It just, I told you as we were going into this that I'd be watching the last few minutes. I just closed it. It's over. Celtics went up 104 80 to six with two minutes left. I would say other than that, pretty good, but you know, I'm still going to just hold on to that week, that game one momentum, much like you held on to the, the game, the game two momentum and and see where that takes us. <laughs> That's I'm, about all I got right I'm now. I'm still holding on to it over here. Just so you know, in case you're wondering, <laughs> well, how, how are you feeling? I'm besides fe- still holding on to that game. I'm two feeling momentum. good. You know, I, I feel like Chicago sports for the most part, now that the bulls are done are kind of really sad and it's a dull patch really really it's gonna be a long summer i feel like i might have to uh i think i'm gonna really try to follow the chicago sky to give me something to to be happy about oh there you go because they're they're kicking off this week defending champs have ring night they're playing the la sparks so that's exciting but otherwise i'm okay nfl draft What about the fire how are they doing uh they're okay. Oh, I mean, not good. Never mind. No, Don't watch I mean, them. They're fine, but they're they're nothing really spectacular. They have a really good goalkeeper, Gabriel Slonina. He's a, a, a Illinois local high school kid who's 17, and he's one of the best keepers in the MLS, but he's about to apparently get picked up by a Premier League side. Oof. Apparently a top six, according to rumors. So... Look out for that. Is it one of our top sixes? I don't know. They, it's the, the right. there's no, he's been linked to some big clubs in the past, like Juve. So he's, he's definitely got a lot of talent and a lot of uh, interest in him. So he won't be around for much longer. We still have Jared and Shakiri, but overall, uh, still for some reason play in Soldier Field to about a crowd of 10,000 every, every Saturday. <laughs> but overall, go Sky. Yeah. Let's go, let's go Sky. The road to a repeat is on. Let's not waste any more time. We have a lot to talk about. NFL draft over the weekend. You know, basketball playoffs, as we mentioned. Baseball, of course. Uh, Let's start, as we usually do, with the best thing we saw this week. How about you get us started? Yeah, you mentioned the draft. That's where I'm going to stay for right now. Obviously, we are Midwest to our core here, but... There are other teams not in the Midwest. I know that's shocking. The New York Giants had a actually both New York teams generally had a pretty good draft, I think, by a lot of a lot of accounts. But the Giants specifically, I think this was their maybe their first pick of the of the round. I'm I don't can't keep track of all yeah, of it. Yeah. But they were picking in the 
was it like the 10th pick or the 11th pick fifth cool not paying attention fifth pick they were (laughs) they brought up to stage one of the first guest appearances of the night at least to announce a draft pick and it was this kid where you know people are like what is who's this kid uh turns out he is a make-a-wish recipient his name is sam prince he grew up a lifelong giants fan he lives in west caldwell which i believe is in jersey Mm -hmm. and he see his wish was to go announce be a part of the draft and announce the giants draft Sam pick. is post-heart transplant and feeling stronger than ever as you can see <laughs> tonight his wish to announce the giants first pick comes true and he i think they announced that he had like a like a passion to pursue sports media yeah and and he had a pretty good and pretty good composure while drafting you very clear and you know emphatic energetic all those things you're like all right i could see you calling a sports game sny should be looking out to pick him up soon but he was he got to announce the pick he is his wish was granted partially because he is a uh, he suffers from hypoplastic left heart syndrome he was a recipient of recently of a heart transplant and he was born with half a heart and one lung uh, not recently. The transplant was in 2011, but he's been suffering with this for a long time. He's a senior now. And he got to call out Kayvon Thibodeau, which was the Giants draft pick, that big D-line, or big edge rusher out of, out of Oregon. And when he came up on stage, Kayvon was all jacked up. So he's like screaming at the top of his lungs, let's go! And so is Prince after he announced the pick. And they're both just reveling in the excitement of the moment. I think they even hugged pretty emphatically. It was just a really fun moment to see, like, in two different ways, stories, you know, life stories, life dreams getting fulfilled mm-hmm. and just an all around feel good moment that, you know, whether you believe it's corporate bullshit or not, the NFL does a really good job of focusing on those and it really makes you feel good to see. So that was, that made me happy watching the first round of the draft, just a cool moment all around. Hell, yeah. Hell best yeah. thing I saw this week. Super cool. Loved that moment. It was cool to see them do that. I feel like that's normally something that they like, say for like day three or day two like they bring out you know like celebrities are making picks or you know like other yeah. local charity organizers and whatnot but i feel like in the like last couple of years they've done a good job of having like people come out to make these picks because it's really you know obviously it's a big moment for these athletes and they are you know it's life-changing you know moments for them but it's supposed to be fun and it's it's not supposed to be this like super business situation like serious you know like it's supposed to be fun it's for the fans it's for the people to see like their the future of their team come out so to have somebody come in who wants to pursue you know sports broadcasting it, it was really cool to see and I, i'm happy that uh that they did something like that so early on in the draft yeah absolutely yeah my best thing I saw this week is a little more on the uh, the humorous side, but that on Sunday we'll get into the Bucks Celtics game one. But Sunday they had a couple referees on mic'd up for the game in Boston. Obviously, big time series, lots of celebrities in the house, and one celebrity in particular resulted in a it caused a bit of a generational gap to be you know shown it was scott foster <laughs> and the other referee was ed malloy they were looking at the big screen and jack harlow was on there he was sitting courtside he's a huge 
Boston Celtics fan and you know the crowd's cheering for him they're you know he's waving what you know doing the whole thing and Scott Foster and Malloy looked like they had seen an alien with three heads who's Jack Harlow who's Jack Harlow I don't know it is there's a guy over here right here in that white shirt behind you (laughs) they were like who is jack harlow and they're like i have no idea like he's that guy right over there They're like who is he i don't know go ask him and they were just it just like created this hilarious like two old guys like totally not understanding this gen z celebrity that's up on the board like just just hilarious and i love that's why i love people being mic'd up because you just get like such genuine conversations that i'm sure like every parent across america has had with oh, with yeah. their like partner or their child or whatever and been like who is that like you know even like we probably get like that with people that you know that are celebrities now like tiktok people or oh my gosh, like yeah. instagram or like youtubers kids show people were like who is like this is a celebrity you? like you're yeah. why are you at the oscars addison ray like you know like <laughs> so it's just funny what did you sing this year right so it's just so funny to see that kind of thing and um i thought it was great that like i said mic'd up should be a requirement for any game that goes on yeah no just seeing the it, it we obviously watch these guys every night day in and day out and and that's what the beauty of mic'd up brings is just the human side of everything yeah. it's a total just like two 60 year olds on a walk through the neighborhood going kids these days and their <laughs> dang music yeah. i don't know what's going on at all <laughs> but it's just it's also two guys who happen to be well respected and apparently pretty good at refereeing a basketball game yeah it, it's it's kind of it's kind of the two opposites right the world's when worlds collide when worlds collide there you go that's the good phrase so speaking of this bucks Celtics series let's get into it obviously like you said game two did not go the bucks favor but now going back to milwaukee series split in boston uh game apiece both teams kind of having their way in those first two games the bucks coming out on sunday and really setting the tone in that game early on not allowing the celtics to really get their offense going what did you see in game one that you liked as a Bucks fan? I mean, Giannis just getting control of the matchup was incredible. And and Drew was right behind him. I think they they, they both were at like 20, 22 and 25 points respectively, I think, from that first, first game. And then it just really felt like they had heard all, you know, and, and the, the narrative had been building. Everybody was like, this is Boston series. Boston's got home court. Boston, mm-hmm. Boston, Boston. And they came out and said, hey, we got the ring, guys. Yep. Like, come take it from us and and they really did they they brought the energy from the like beginning of the game and and they never let up it, like i kept i unfortunately could not watch but i kept checking the box score and it was like oh all right like let's see if they that lead holds and you check again 20 minutes later and you're like oh okay, wow okay they're still cruising here and then you check again you're like oh my god they're like actually going to finish off game one in boston and i think they did up like 15 it was it was quite a statement victory mm-hmm. in game one and they t- immediately come out and take home court advantage advantage right back i mean boston did a little bit of a good job to to gain it back to you know to to counter punch today as it, as it just goes final 109 86 is the final final tally on tonight's game but to come out and in in game one just just slap boston in the face um offensively defensively javon carter and west were just unreal. Javon Carter, I think, finished the game plus twenty-five. Wow! Which 
is just absurd. And, you know, everybody that, that cheers for the Bucks was riding high coming into game two off that, off that performance. Definitely. I wouldn't say, you know, I'm going to segue quick into it here. I wouldn't say like crashing down to earth, but more of just like, Oh yeah. Like this is, as we talked about on our last episode, this is not going to be easy. It may have felt easy after game one, but this is going to be a long grueling series. I mean, uh, Jalen Brown had 25 by half. Uh, they quieted him in the second half. He only finished the night with 30, but they were the Bucks were down, I think, at one point 30 to 12, and it really didn't get any better from there. Just couldn't seem to get any closer than like 12, 15 points all all game. And and Brown and Brown and Tatum really had a a statement game all without Marcus Smart. Yeah, you know, the, the the defensive the defensive stalwart of that team out yeah. of the, out of the game. Defensive Player of the Year defensive player of the year yeah yeah so you know i think it just i didn't think it just highlights that i'm not exactly sure what happened in the first half but the bucks did not react quick enough whatever did happen and uh that cannot continue to happen or else the series could get swayed pretty quickly this is a celtics team that when they take a lead and when they start scoring it comes in bunches yeah I mean, it's not like it's the warriors or anything but they're pretty damn close they're one of the hottest offenses, especially to finish the season definitely so yeah, I cannot take them for granted and got to just, you know, adjust quick when they start scoring. Right. I felt like the Celtics really just were able to come out and they were just getting guys open from three. I felt like in game one, mm-hmm. the Bucks were able to take a lot of uncontested threes. And that is obviously something they have a lot of knockdown shooters, catch and shoot guys like, you know, yeah. Grayson, Connaughton, Wes, like. The list goes on and on. They're pretty much everyone on the team is pretty much a catch and shoot guy outside of like Giannis. So the Celtics, though, tonight, they they just were able to one knock down their three pointers, which is obviously if you're doing that, you're going to be able to build a lead pretty quickly. And two, they were just swarming on defense, like really not allowing anyone to get uh, the shot they wanted. It kind of reminded me of the way the Bucks attacked. DeRozan in the Bulls series where as soon as the Bucks got to a spot they wanted there were two Celtics players there waiting for them hands in their face causing them to not to take a shot but an, but a contested one and one that they didn't really like mm-hmm. and like you said the Celtics came out went on you know started the game 30 to 12 and that was the difference like the Bucks played them pretty evenly after that but yeah it just wasn't like playing evenly in that situation is not going to get you anywhere no, they they couldn't seize advantage at all. Yeah, yeah. Without Marcus Smart, the, the Boston defense really stepped up. Not that they were bad in Game One, but only allowing eighty six points to the defending champs is really impressive. So yeah, incredible. Now I think I think it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it shifts when it comes back to Milwaukee. But I think you know, not that I ever want to think that pro athletes they're well they're never going to admit to it but they are human i think they saw you know they might have there might have been like a, oh well smarts out and we mm-hmm. cruised in game one this should be easy right and and they just i mean if that it was the case that that's just can't pass you have to yeah. be ready for every game every every you know they you saw again flipping to a different series they the warriors admittedly a good team on their own were able to stop the hottest team probably in or at least the most fun team to talk about without Draymond on their own home court last yeah. week in the last, you know, in, in Memphis, in that Memphis series. So yeah. just cause you lose one guy does not actually, they should look no further than themselves losing Chris Middleton, but just cause you lose one guy does not mean the series changes dynamically. Like no. It's the same, 
same team out there and there's still a bunch of guys ready to fight and it's it's the playoffs <laughs> yeah contest every game yeah it is kind of weird we're about to go into a you know game three saturday so we have three days off kind of a long stretch given that there's only four total series going on right now but you know yeah it's it, a long gap it is what it is time you know that does give time for Marcus Smart to possibly come back. So it'll be very interesting to see how game three goes in as the series returns to or goes to Milwaukee. Obviously going to be a rocking environment for the for the Bucks. Difficult place to play as as we've seen over the last couple seasons. The Pfizer Forum has become a very formidable place for for opposing teams to come and try and get a win against a great Milwaukee team. So definitely got to get back on track. Giannis was not on his game tonight, 11 for 27, just, just wasn't able to control the game as he likes to. And the, this, you know, bucks were just off, but I still think that they'll be able to bounce back, make mm-hmm. this a series, but you know, Boston is, uh, I mean, they're no joke They're it, This is yeah. going to be like we said before the series, like, I think this is going to go seven. Um, so it, it's going to be a lot of, you know, back and forth, you know, punch, counter punch. I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah. Big time series. And as you said, Pfizer, Pfizer will be ready on, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake about that. Oh, definitely. Um, let's just quickly talk about the Bulls offseason obviously has begun now. We had our exit interviews last week. So a lot came out of that. Really, I mean, two things we learned that are most most notably one is Lonzo ball has not been progressing very well in his recovery from his uh, torn meniscus. We saw Robert Williams from the Celtics tear his meniscus earlier this season. And he was back in about six weeks. Now you've got Lonzo still out, had a pre-existing bone bruise on the same knee where he tore the meniscus. So obviously that didn't help. He tried to speed up his recovery to try and get back by the end of the season didn't happen. They shut him down. Um, and now there's talk. He mentioned in his exit interview, he might need an additional procedure done this offseason. So that is not good if you are Chicago Bulls. I mean, obviously, we saw how much of a difference it made having Lonzo out there versus when he was out. It It's not a good sign. I hope that things can kind of progress quickly with that. Obviously, we want him to get as fully healed as he can and come back next season ready to play. But definitely a bit of a downer uh, when you're hoping to get some good news at the end of the season. And then the second one is Lonzo, or excuse me, is Zach Levine. So Levine coming into a contract year. Well, just had a contract year. Now going into a summer where he is a unrestricted free agent he is available to get the max contract extension from the chicago bulls and you know he had some kind of cryptic things to say at the at his exit interview maybe people are reading a bit too into it but he did have this i'll read a quote from him this is the one that was the most interesting to me he goes i have to do this as a business decision to not just be viewed one way as i'm automatically coming back or I'm automatically leaving, things like that. It's unrestricted free agency. I think for my family, for me, I have to go and look at this as a decision where I need to be open-eyed. So definitely not like the answer you want to hear from a guy who you consider to be like the centerpiece of this rebuild. Like he was a guy who was brought in, you know, in the Jimmy Butler trade. He was the centerpiece of that trade. 
you know, things obviously didn't work out with the other two guys, marketing Chris Dunn. Like, so now here we are. Levine was one of three guys held on to from the Jim Boylan era. And the Bulls, like, I, from what Archer Karnasova said in his interview, like, he said, you know, we love Zach. We, we want to make him a top priority. So I think, obviously, the Bulls are thinking, like, he's going to come back. But they have to go into it being, like, this is our guy. We need to offer him the max. No, no time to mess around. Like, we don't need him going, like, considering other teams or, you know, doing anything like that. Like, let's hold on to him. Let's bring him back. Pay that man his money. And we'll move on to the next one. Because if we decide to not go after him and allow him to go sign with another team, we might as well just start over. Because what exactly is the plan if we are letting Zach Levine walk, getting nothing back for him in return, and... Then we're, you know, we're sitting with a 33-year-old DeRozan and a 32-year-old uh, Vucevic as our two main guys. Like, that's not where you want to be as a franchise, especially coming off a disappointing end to the season, a season where we, you know, had a huge turnaround in wins and became a contender and, and whatnot. But, I mean, we might as well just if, – if we don't bring back Zach, like, trade DeRozan, trade Vucevic, and let's start over like yeah so yeah and, and people i seem feel to ha- seem to have this idea that like because zach wasn't performing to like the level we know him at we should let him walk and it's like it just blows my mind that people would have that thought like before he got hurt this season he well one he was playing with a sig- pretty significant knee injury for the second half of the season um that he said he downplayed to the team doctors uh, so that's that's one thing. And two, before he was injured, this guy was considered an all NBA talent. So why are we so quick to just turn around and be like, all right, ship him out, like yeah. go sign somewhere else. Like, it's not happening. So he's a rich Paul client. Clutch sports. They're known for being, you know, getting their guys the money they deserve. So let's allow him to have his little, you know, cryptic messaging get get your money get your bag now go and then go put in work in the off season like well there's no time to mess around we have we have plans too many plans here to to, to start messing around with trying to rebuild through the draft and blah 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 nope Mm-mm. let's get let's get it mm-hmm. and uh and <laughs> yeah exactly bring zach back <laughs> and let's go from there Hey, uh, fun fact, Rich Paul, Cleveland, Ohio, born and raised. Yep. Also, Rich Paul dating Did Adele. Double it's fun me. fact, Chris Paul, Rich Paul dating Adele. Yeah. Yes. How about that? Yeah. No, your your comments on your comments are absolutely right. This is this is uh this is what anybody in a free agent position that potentially can make a max contract uh should do is make themselves worth the max max contract mm-hmm. by saying you know, cause if you say like, Oh no, I'm coming back to Chicago. Like you just give away all your leverage. Right. So obviously don't do that. But I also agree with you that the, and I'm sure the bulls brass are aware of this. They would be equally as stupid to not, to not give him that max contract to yeah. pay the man what he's worth. This yeah. is, it should be DeRozan and Levine and you could argue Vooch, but at least DeRozan and Levine for the next five years, maybe longer Mm -hmm. 
I agree. And and do whatever you can to make it happen. Do yeah. whatever you can and to make it happen. Build from there because that's he should be a cornerstone of us going forward. Like he's gone through the mud. He's been our best guy. Like last like 2020, 2020, 2021 season, he was an absolute monster. This year, he went down a little bit in production because he was deferring a lot to DeRozan, which was like was to be like expected given the way that DeRozan performed this year. So I see no problem with him. The the the, the you know the the numbers he put up. Let's bring him back, and let's not worry about trying to figure out. Who's gonna like? Who's gonna replace him? Really, is what my question is. Like, who do people expect the Bulls to just get? You know, like this free agency class is not that great. It's it's solid, yeah. but it's nothing. Like, there's no replacing a Zach Levine. Like, just with age, talent. Like, no, 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 no. players worthy of a max contract do not grow on trees. Right, and and also take the opportunity to sign him when you can. Right, the Bulls are the team that can offer him the most money. They can offer him that fifth year. And the only other teams who can offer him even close to that money are uh, here's a couple options for you, Zach. The Trailblazers, the Pistons, the Spurs, the Magic, and the Pacers. Those are the five teams that can offer Zach. That, those, are, <laughs> those are the five teams in the NBA who have cap space. Think about that. How many of those teams, how many of those teams are making the playoffs next year? Zero. Including the Bulls. Including the oh, Bulls. Well, one. One. Yeah. Maybe exactly. the Spurs. Well, Spurs made the play-in game. So maybe the Spurs, but like that's a huge maybe. So I'd say one, maybe two. So he'd be going backwards, and the Bulls would be going backwards. It just makes no sense. Like, bring Zach back, end of discussion. I feel like I've already put too much time into just this converse, this, this like topic. Like, it's, it's, it shouldn't even be like a conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just an afterthought. Let him do his thing, let him court around. Make sure that you, when you give him the eventual offer, it is the max amount of money you can give him because he deserves every pennant. Penny, move on. Exactly. Um, speaking of pennants, let's talk baseball. <laughs> Unintentionally good segue. <laughs> let's hey? talk baseball. Let's start with our ultimate team. Last week, we had a, a pair of aces that we talked about Ben Sheets and Mark Pryor. Now we are on to uh you have another pitcher. I wouldn't call him an ace. Would you call him an ace? Not a pair of aces. Not a the pair bottom of line aces. is this week is not a pair of aces. No, no. Start with your guy, Milwaukee Brewers 2005. Yeah, so this Election. is my fifth starter for 2005. Um totally planned it that way. And ironically, it would think his best season probably in the majors. Long career, he was drafted in the 31st round of the of the amateur draft by the Dodgers. Did not play for the Dodgers. He played for Texas in 99 when he made his debut, then to Toronto, then to Milwaukee for four seasons, then to Arizona for a few, then finish, and then back to Milwaukee, then finished his career in Chicago. So, so an MLB journeyman, obviously that's 99 to 2011, 13 years. And, but again, specifically the 05 season, he pitched, he was 11-11 with a 3.84 ERA and a 3.98 FIP. That was across 35 starts that spanned 222.2 innings. Uh, struck out 208, 
and he allowed 95 earned runs. So like pretty solid, nothing crazy. It, it's mostly just a, ironically, I needed something to work in this year and I think it beat out 01 uh, because there wasn't really a lot good in 01, at least among starting pitching. But two short tidbits. Um, this is the entirety of his, his Wikipedia reference about the years 2005 and it's two sentences. It is one short one. Davis continued with the Brewers in 2005 going 11-11 with a 384 ERA. I already said that. Uh, and the second sentence comes a little bit later after some mention about some 2006 Mother's Day where he had his he was one of the guys to wear uh, have a pink bat for the breast cancer foundation which is pretty cool but this is probably the coolest bit davis made a brief appearance in 2005 as a potential home buyer on the a and e television program flip this house titled <laughs> it's a rat race so just a great little tidbit to have in your wikipedia article it just feels like the most baseball thing ever to have a guy just like oh by the way he was also on an a and e show in 2005 but yeah, uh, Doug Davis, welcome to the squad. I needed five pitchers for the rotation. I needed somebody in 2005. You fit the bill, and I had a pretty good season to boot. So nailed it. Love it. Nailed uh, it. Filling out the rotation. Now you got your you got your ace. Now you got your back end guy. Got my innings eater and an absolute monster soul patch. Would you call it or what? What? what, what oh would we call my it gosh! That? I didn't even mention a flavor I'm so saver, sorry, Doug. Go. Welcome to yeah, that is a flavor saver if I ever saw one. Yeah. Baseball reference has, like, if you were to sketch a soul patch, <laughs> it would look like this. It is just quite the piece of art. Shout out baseball reference for purposely using that picture. We know what you did. We know why you did it. And we thank you we for it. We appreciate it. Yeah. Moving on to my team, we are on to the year 2004. So this is a guy, my uh, left fielder. He is pretty well known amongst Cubs fans for reasons outside of his on the field work, but the off the field does not overshine his on field talent. Moses Alou, he was a hard hitting right-handed batter um, from a, a famous family in in MLB, the Alou family. His dad, Felipe Alou, was a man. Like we played, he was a manager. Um, but Moises, a long career, seventeen years in the league, and two thousand four was the best of his career as far as long balls go. Thirty nine dingers, one hundred and six RBIs. Meanwhile, in his age thirty seven season, by the way. He had, like I said, 39 home runs, career high, 106 RBIs, hit 293 with 361 on base percentage, 557 slugging percentage, an OPS of 919. He was an all star, finished top 14 in the, ML, in the MVP race. But if you are a Cubs fan, you know Moises most for one, he didn't wear batting gloves. <laughs> never wore batting gloves he was an old school kind never. of guy and he had a little trick for making sure his hands were ready for the game and that was he would pee on them and the only thing i can do is to drink my own pee oh my god that's right yeah i wasn't sure if he knew that so i didn't <laughs> want to say it. i was like talking about him before the show but i didn't want to be like he's the guy who pees on his hands like um, yeah so, no that's absolutely right so he Ugh. was known for 
doing that. Um, he was one of the, you know, the, he, the logistics of that did he then wash his hands or did he just walk into the dugout smelling like a bag of piss? I'm like assuming, that's what I really want. I'm assuming know. he like washed them enough, but he said he would do it to toughen up his hands <laughs> and make them a little, you know, not not be so effective. Moises, there's easier ways to do this, my guy. There's got to be some kind of like lotion you could put on, or like yeah. like like uh, what's it called? Um, like powder. But no, he went all au natural. Um, he didn't want to mess with any any chemicals or any you know anything like that. So he went straight to the source, and yeah, I mean, hey, it worked out for him. He was a great you know guy. He was he sat right behind Sammy Sosa in the lineup. And he he performed. I mean, he did his thing. You can look into him. He was great. Obviously, a lot of Cubs fans know him as the guy who kind of <laughs> blamed Steve Bartman for the whole situation. But yeah, Moises Alou holds a special place in my heart. And I, I love having him in left field. He's, he's an absolute a tank out there. And I'm glad to have him. Yeah, that's a beast. That's yeah. just a beast, especially at 37 to be doing that. I know, unbelievable. And he played, he did like he played five more seasons after that. Four more seasons. And so was he was he still good in those seasons? He was an all-star the next season too when he was 38. Oh my lord. He hit 38 year old. Yeah. Is that the oldest all-star selection? That's a good question. I mean, if maybe like like maybe like non-pitcher, like I think like uh like a like a roger clemens was probably like in his 40s like early 40s when he made the like all-star game maybe like a rat johnson it's pete rose oh there you go that makes sense interesting he he pinch hit for fernando valenzuela in the so oh my god both i guess it's two positions so the pitcher satchel page for the st louis browns in 1953 appeared at 47 years and seven days old and pete rose appeared in 1985 at 44 years and 93 days old wow that's, um, that's i mean it does make sense as you said satchel page old as fuck he made his mlb debut at the age of 42 yeah after his career in the negro leagues but right just both of those are just absurd yeah so sorry he's not actually the oldest <laughs> no but i, I go yeah i get what you're saying yeah he but he was old Boy, he was old. Old. old uh yeah old. but confirmed old so yeah we'll continue with that next week we'll be on to i'm gonna get into some a couple dark years for the cubs oh five oh six not fun times to be a cubs fan we had a series over the weekend the Brewers were – they brought the bats out. Um, yeah, and yeah. boy, did they beat the Cubs to hell uh, in those first two games. Something like six home runs Friday and followed it up with another yeah, offensive explosion. The yeah, the next day. Combined nine homers in two days and 20 runs. Wow, yeah. 20 then, to two they were and, outscored. And they were all tuckered out when it came to Sunday because the Cubs <laughs> shut them out. Behind Marcus Stroman, first win of the season for him. Love to see that. If I, I'll just quickly like do a little Cubs rundown. Not a ton to say. Um, they kind of suck. Like that's really all there is to it. Yeah. They just don't seem to have like the offense. It, it like is 
has pieces there. Ian Happ has been really good this season. Seiya has kind of like fallen back. Like obviously he started out so hot, but he sort of came back to earth. Nico Horner looks like a guy who could be around for, for a long time. But our starting pitching is just terrible. Like really, there's no other way to there's say it. There's nothing there. There's nothing. You have Stroman, who is obviously we know what Stroman is. You have Kyle Hendricks, always a solid guy. You know, he's he's been great for most of his career with the Cubs. Outside of that, it's just a lot of bad starting pitching. Drew Smiley is not good. Justin Steele is still getting accustomed to the MLB game. The fifth starter. I don't even know who like who we have there. I mean, we're we're like Wade Miley is is um starting a rehab assignment on Thursday. So that's good. Hopefully we'll see him within the next month. But also it's like he's like 36 or 7. It's like he might hold us down for a year, maybe two at most, but I'm not holding my breath for that guy to be around for a long time. Like I just think back to the Eloy trade. It all comes back to the Eloy trade for Jose Quintana. And we threw in Dylan Cease. Hmm. Our top pitching prospect, a guy who was, who was making his way up the minors very quickly. He was in, he was in triple a Iowa. Like he was looking very solid. Um, like the Cubs have had, a, had trouble making those homegrown pitchers. And they gave away Cease, and right now I could really use a 26-year-old guy who's coming out there striking out 11 over seven innings. Like, that's what he did yesterday uh, against the Angels. Like, he is just, – just, it just sucks to see that kind of thing, you know, like where we have that guy in our farm system ready to come up and be our – our ace for the future. And now it's like, what do we got? You, you know, we're, we're still building. We, we still, we have Adbert Alzale who's, you know, injured. Uh, he's got an elbow injury. It's yeah. It's just the prospects as far as the pitching goes are not where I'd like to be. And I feel like that's just holding us back from being competitive in most situations. Yeah. Yeah, the pitching is really bleak, mm-hmm. and and it shows. I mean, we talked about that pirate ser- pirate series last episode where they won one, but otherwise got blown out in like every other game. Mm-hmm. Or no, they blew out the one, but then couldn't yeah. couldn't come through in the other games. Right. This series, obviously, the pitching reared its ugly head. Twenty given up runs in two games, nine homers. That's that's like what you want to give up to the Brewers over the course of like a month. Right. Um, not in two days. <laughs> One, here's a stat that just like breaks it all down. I mean, three quality starts through 22, yeah. through 22 games. So a quality start for those who don't know is six plus in six or more innings. And I believe three or less runs. Correct. Given yeah. up. So to only get three and two from Stroman, one from Hendricks, like, those are, I mean, those are the guys you know you're getting from, but like, not we're not getting that from anyone else. Not even once, like through 22 games, not ideal. So, Cubs still figuring things out. Like I said last episode, it's going to be a season where we kind of are weeding out what's good, what's bad, what's able to be worked on. But right now, it's it's a whole lot of bad. If you ask me, a whole lot of bad. Yeah, um, bats good, kind of sometimes. 
pitching not gonna be bad. good. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> bad. Very bad. Yeah. No good. Horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh well, I mean, you have pitching issues. Uh I wish I knew what that was like. Just kidding. No, I don't. <laughs> this team in Milwaukee uh might have six guys that could be threes at least somewhere else. I mean, you saw two of them over the weekend, it, and it wasn't Woodruff and Burns. Uh, the first two were uh, Adrian Hauser and Eric Lauer um, on that Friday night game, I believe, was Hauser, and he just went six innings, struck out six, only gave up two hits, just as you like it, hum-ho. And Eric Lauer is quietly becoming a really good pitcher. Mm-hmm. I mean, his last three starts look great, but let me just show you the last two specifically. One on on Sunday Night Baseball against Angel Hernandez, and then the last or against against the Phillies with Angel Hernandez calling the balls and strikes, and then the other one again on Saturday against the uh, Cubs. Um, that is thirteen innings pitched across those two starts, twenty four strikeouts, and one earned run. Wow. 24 strikeouts. And like I said, now granted one of the games was angel Hernandez, but maybe it wasn't that crazy because he, that was a 13 strikeout game and he followed up with 11 against the Cubs. I mean, <laughs> and then you have Ashby doing what he can do. You obviously have Woodruff Burns Peralta with whom we know what they can be. And they're starting, they're starting to show signs of it, even with some early season struggles uh, in some of their cases. But I mean, you can run a six-man all season and not touch the rotation once, knock on wood for no injury, but I, what? <laughs> it's what this, what this staff has done is just, it, I mean, it's literally a visceral reaction. It's just unbelievable to look at every log they turn in. I mean, they, you know, they're going seven innings. They're going eight innings. They're going six innings. Like, you, you know, you have issues with quality starts. We got one every night, it feels like. It's just, yeah. it could not be different. And then you look offensively, and as I said, um, you know, nine total homers. Yelich added two more. Renfro had a two-homer day and added three over the, and another one on the weekend. Adams is crushing the ball. Tellez is really crushing the ball. He and Yelich, I think, are going to have a competition for who can hit highest up the scoreboard, it feels like, in dead center. (laughs) Because in that series specifically, they launched about four combined at dead center. And one of them was a rowdy ball that bounced, you know, obviously it has to bounce up and over the wall to be a homer, but I'm pretty sure it bounced on the yellow. Like, it was, like, inches away from being a homer in dead center. Mm -hmm. And, And to see Kutch swinging the back, the bat, and getting power out of it, it's just so fun. And, and I mean, this is what this lineup was brought together to do. You have, that's five names right there. And I didn't even mention Luis Arias, who just came back from injury. That's six now who can just bop the ball. (laughs) Bop it. it. I mean, yeah, it's just, it is, um, I would love to see how this lineup fares. I mean, the Philly series was a good, a good litmus test. Um, I think we'll have another Eastern, I think we have an East coast road trip coming up against, I think it's Cincinnati that's not East coast, but then Atlanta and Miami. And that will kind of really tell us, I think where this team truly is. Cause the NL East is tough. You, and you, you, you have a good series against Philly and then you go, you go have a good series against two more of those teams already. And you're in a pretty good spot. So um, I am, you know, ever more optimistic about this team. Uh, the, the opening rough series against Chicago couldn't be further in the rear view mirror at this point, or at least it yeah. gets further and further with each passing day. I agree. Um, and final, and you know, final note is with you when you have um, 
Rias back and performing as your everyday third baseman, Eric Lauer pitching like that. I mean, you know, Grisham can do all he wants out in San Diego. I think this trade is pretty well and fairly won by, by the Brewers at this point. Uh, it, it just like, like it's, it's, it, as I said in the intro, like, you know, for better or for worse, we found our respective grooves. These could not be two more opposite teams right now. Right. Um, and for me, very, very selfishly, it feels very, very good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't blame you. I like, we, I think we talked about this before when we were previewing the season, like this just feels like the Brewers, division to lose like they mm-hmm. need to just keep doing the things they're doing the bats are they've obviously been able to um kind of shore up the lineup getting renfro i think was huge it was something you talked about for so long like Massive. filling out that outfield with with a bat um and now you have a great bat out there a, a guy with you know power to all fields um and also the ability to throw guys out anytime from the outfield um it kind of allows yelich to sort of sit back adams allows yelich to not be so pressed you know what i mean like mm-hmm. he doesn't feel like he needs to be coming out there getting two hits two three hits every night um when right. you got when you're surrounded by guys like renfro adams Tellus, urias like it's just how it is like it, it just comes with with building the lineup out and allowing him to have more like pieces around him yeah, and and back on Yelich, this was another big key to the Brewers finding success. Obviously, they paid this man two hundred some million dollars. Like, of course, you you want to you want sure. him to do well. Oh, of course. Um, but he is really there. The talk this offseason was he felt like he had found himself again. He felt more confident taking at bats, and it kind of showed early. Um, but it's continuing to show through more and more. I mean, he is barreling balls. Um, his you know he's back to kind of like again. I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier in uh the in the last episode but he um i mean he kind of feels like he's back to his at least early miami days which is already a start um but he's you know all fields he's roping into both corners he's hitting it dead to center um he's pulling the ball he's he you know the the stats are fun he's Mm -hmm. 85th 85th percentile in a stat cast in max exit velo he's 93 percentile in hard hard hit rate um he's not chasing the ball 83rd percentile in uh chase rate um you know still uh, things to work on the outs above average is 19th percentile the k percentage is 33 percentile but there are a lot of red numbers and if you haven't looked at baseball savant is where i'm pulling this from um the red numbers obviously are good blue numbers obviously are bad you want the red numbers he's got red numbers it's very exciting to see because this is not the yellow we've seen over the past year and a half two years yeah, and if he's if he's performing at that level, then the Brewers are are going to be running away with this division in no time, as long as they can hold off the Cardinals, um, which we all want to happen. We don't want the Cardinals winning this division. I think we can all agree. Nobody on wants that. the Cardinals winning the division. Yeah, Come on, screw yeah. the Cardinals. Um, Shove your Pujols story where redemption story where, where the sun don't shine. Up your Pujols. Um, up your Pujols. <laughs> <laughs> there's a great. Sh- uh, I know my mom would appreciate this. It's a great shirt that they sell outside of Wrigley Field. I don't know if it's still there, but it used to say it used to say it used to be a picture of a cardinal, like a cartoon cardinal with a bat up its ass, and it was it would say Cardinals take it in their pool holes. <laughs> my mom and I would always oh, I was not love ready that for that. Yeah. that is uh, ten out of ten. There you go. You can. Oh my that, lord! Use that one. That one's free. Up your um, pool holes. Let's finish out with some NFL draft talk. So, uh, obviously, 
big weekend for a lot of NFL franchises. Some teams feel like they might have their future. Some fans are thinking, why do I cheer for such a team that does these kind of things? Everyone's freaking out about draft grades after six hours of these players being on the team and they haven't even put on pads yet or chosen a jersey number. Um, Thoughts? Just Let's start with just general thoughts about the NFL draft. Were you did you enjoy it? Um, were you a fan of you know what you saw first round? Um, anything that stuck out in your mind? Um, Vegas is a top NFL venue. Yeah, um, like just in general. And I was confused though. Did it look like the stage or something was in the Bellagio fountain? Uh, uh, I didn't notice that. I know it was supposed to, like, original plan was, like, to have right. it be at the fountain, and there was going to be, like, a gondola that, like, would swing around and, like, drop players off at the stage or something like that. Like, Yeah, bo- boats to the to the red carpet. Yes. Um, I don't even think that happened, but there might have been a – oh, maybe it just was – maybe the red car- carpet was there. It does look like it, it was indeed there. Um, And the water and light show, blah, blah, blah. Um, I still, I mean, an elite venue, the stadium's beautiful. Vegas is Vegas, just top tier NFL knows how to put on a show. That's for damn sure. Um, overall, I thought it was a good draft. I thought Mm -hmm. it was, and I thought it was good because nobody knew it was coming. I mean, first of all, you know, a weak quarterback class means that the, the, the teams can go literally anywhere, um, from trading down to just looking elsewhere. Um, a lot of, lot of surprises i think i think at one point it was like the most trades in the first round or two rounds or something um there was some set about trades it was a lot um i know that much uh and it, it wildly entertaining um i mean the aj brown trade sticks out in mind the hollywood brown trade too that like almost yeah. didn't get any coverage it just was a wild weekend from start to finish um I think the only place I wouldn't want to be is being a commanders fan. Um, I think they might've had the, one of the worst drafts I've seen, as you said, obviously don't get too overhyped, but it just didn't seem like they knew what they were doing. Yeah. I don't know. I feel um, like they probably could have done a few more things to shore up that team. Uh, but you know, we'll see how things work out. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, I was reminded of this clip. Like there's a couple in 2012, the Seahawks drafted, Russell Wilson, Bruce Irvin, and Bobby Wagner all in the same draft. And, and uh, Bleacher Report gave them a, an F grade. <laughs> so it's like, you know, take it with a grain of salt wherever right. whatever you look at. We can't grade these final, these picks until it's, it's two, three, four endeavor. years down the road. Yeah. Everyone yeah. wants it instantly in the NFL. So, right, um, no, but I mean, I'll switch to more of a personal side yeah, of, yeah, of things yeah. here. Um, first round was generally kind of predictable and overall pretty exciting, especially it was predictable once. Um, I don't think anybody was expecting the wide receivers to go like, it was a 10, 11, 12. It felt like, yeah, it was a run on, on a lot of the big names and that just drove up prices of a lot of the other ones. And I just don't think the Packers kind of much to, I think to a much more extreme sense than the, 
um, the draft where they took love, they like, were like, well, these prices got more expensive than we were really ever planning for them to be. So um, they didn't feel like trading up and they stuck to their plan, um, which has always been to draft super uber duber athletic guys. And they did just that um two first round picks they drafted two more uh georgia bulldogs uh um travion travion walker ah, am i getting that name wrong i think i'm messing that up um uh and Devontae wyatt um so that's what what is cool about that is joining stokes last year that's the third bulldog they've drafted in the first round in two years um i'm pretty sure it's trayvon walker uh trayvon walker was the first overall pick quay walker that's kidding quay walker trayvon walker did also play at georgia though so here's where i'm getting confused yeah and i mean honestly like you can't really go wrong drafting a georgia defensive player in my opinion like they seem to just they come from a system that is producing nfl talent out the ass like i mean these guys are I think they had 15 picks in this year's draft overall. Yeah. Like, it's insane. They um, had an incredible program draft. I think th- I, mean, I don't want to. Oh, so go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, so the Walker pick, um, I don't want to go too much into it. I guess I'll just sum it up by this. Like I said, the elite physicality is what they go for with all this. If we're going to drill into it in a, in a pick here, I'm coming up with. Um, but this relative athletic score, it's put out by. Um, uh his name is math bomb on twitter i think um it's a really weird twitter name but he is the proprietor of this or at least he created a way for us to look at it um i think it's based on how the they like teams score this you know you know combine the 40 the 20 the 40 the shuttle the three cone and score it all on like a zero to ten scale with to the hundredth decimal Mm. um all three of the of the packers first three picks just scored uber high on this scale um the pff goes on to criticize walker specifically for being more of a reactor than a playmaker um at at a linebacker position that's not really what you want to hear but he's so good at tackling and physically recovering that it still might work out for him um but i don't want to waste any more time talking about picks that i didn't put in the google doc because i want to talk about my favorite pick of the entire draft which obviously if you paid a half a bit of attention to any of the pre-draft talk or any national narrative surrounding the packers even post day one of the draft uh they finally did it they they took a wide receiver in the top two rounds um and they took a really really physical one this is christian watson we might have mentioned him on the previous episode um i'm not sure i at least talked to you think, about him i think directly. I, I think i was like interested in the bears getting him oh so maybe you that's were, where yeah. that came from so he was mentioned i guess not by me um but he is a monster mm-hmm. um let me read you pff's uh just a little short paragraph on him uh the packers make a big move they yeah they did they traded up right away like the second picker of day two they made a big move to add their wide receiver of choice at the top of the second round watson has all the physical tools of a number one wide receiver at six foot four with a four three six second speed in the 40 yard dash However, there are concerns about Watson's play strength and lack of polish translating to the NFL on a team that needs an immediate contributor, especially with George Pickens and Sky Moore still both on the board. Um, his, this aforementioned RAS, was a 9.96. 
out of 1200 receivers scored all time that puts him 12th um he physically graded out as an absolute freak uh comps that scored above him or near him in the 9.9 range um calvin johnson julio jones calvin had a perfect 10 julio had a 9.97 javon walker from florida state had a 9.98 dj chark for um had a 9.84 or 9.94 in 2018 and tyrell williams um had a 9.92 uh this is a guy who even if he can't like i think at worst is a um immediate mvs replacement uh, mm-hmm. because that speed and that size has to be respected until he proves that he can't catch anything at all, which then would, would obviously be a complete awful thing. But at least from the jump, um, the hands can be developed. The catching can be developed. The con- chemistry with, with Rogers can be developed. We've seen it with plenty of receivers before, especially ones taken in the second round, Devonte, Jordy, Greg Jennings, the list goes on and on. Um, but I mean, if this guy is even half of that physical profile um, on the field and in, in, I mean, this is an immediate impact player to this offense. Um, Maybe not in direct yardage, but certainly in ability to make things open underneath for the likes of Tunyon and Lazard and the running backs, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, concerns about his catching and about his hands. He obviously came from a, like I said, um, (laughs) kind of important uh, if you're a wide receiver. Very important. I mean, I think the shades of many people are thinking of Jeff Janis when I, when you talk about these draft picks, and obviously that worked out really well for the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> um, he also had an elite uh, RAS profile, but you know, it's at least on paper a very very exciting to think about a, a specimen this large and Definitely. quick and speedy on the Green Bay Packers because that has earth shattering potential. Yeah, well, and especially giving something to Aaron Rodgers. Finally, it feels like it's been so long since they provided him with a weapon of really any kind in a draft. Like, um, so to and you know we know the potential he has to turn just about anybody who he gets his hands on into a, an elite talent. Um, so huge move for the Packers. Obviously, not thrilled on my part because that was a guy I definitely was looking at. Uh, as far as the bears go yeah um and yeah well again tale of two two cities in this podcast as it always is um (laughs) and my my second pick um that i was very excited about um and i will put a massive disclaimer here for on the field purposes only um he has unfortunately some off the field big time red flags that could potentially rear his ugly head. Should those patterns continue into his NFL um, growth and development. Uh, but Devonte Wyatt, another Georgia bulldog aforementioned another physical freak. Um, he scored uniquely high uh, on that same RAS. Uh, again, the PFF write up reads, uh, many expected Green Bay to break its streak of not selecting a wide receiver in round one, but the team opted not to do so by graf- drafting PFF's top-ranked interior defensive lineman, Devontae Wyatt. No Power 5 interior defensive lineman earned in a higher PFF grade in 2021. He also earned an 80 grade or plus both as a run defender and a pass rusher, something no other player at that position in the Power 5 has 
ever accomplished. The former Bulldog continues to dominate, continue to dominate throughout the senior role where he led the position in win rate during one-on-ones. Um, this is a guy, I mean, rotationally, at the very least, if not could be your guy all the time with that amount of physicality and, and success in both situations. Uh, that is just like the anchor of your defense mm-hmm. for his, the entirety of his career. Um, I mean, that's what this profile could potentially mean. Obviously that's like the top outcome, but it, right. it, it lines up to look that way. This, this team has shown over the past few years an ability to turn elite on paper talent into actual productive you know, game talent, even if they were already headed that way. I mean, think about the guys, obviously the more known ones, Jair Stokes, we talked about last year. Um, and some of the smaller names, like we've mentioned, um, like Barnes and guys have just been developed from the ground up. Right. Um, (laughs) this is the, they loaded up heavy on the defense and they will, they continue that way. This, this, I think generally the, 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 and I think we might've talked about this, this looks to be a run heavy defense first team going forward, even with a, a lot of money committed to Aaron Rodgers, um, but it, it's when you when you add prospects like this, it gets more and more exciting by the day. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's especially when you saw the development of how quickly Eric Stokes came in and was an impact player. He was the number two guy on, on in that secondary. Um, clearly, they're doing something correct over there to to develop these guys to be effective almost immediately yeah scout and develop is is winning the grades even if people are mad they didn't get the receiver um they which they now have we'll see how that works also was devondre campbell a georgia guy or am i wrong in saying that um let's fact check devon he oh no he played uh, at hutchinson community college disregard yeah and then he transferred (laughs) to minnesota yeah yeah Um, yeah Hutchinson Community College. Where is that? Uh, looks oh, like no, it's, that's in Kansas. Never mind. There you go. Yeah. So no, he did not play at Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> not a Georgia Most guy. Most definitely confirmed. did not. Yeah. So I mean, but just between those two, uh, Quay Walker now joining that, joining Devontae Campbell. Um, it is going to be fun times in Green Bay defensively. There looks like a lot of physical guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that we get to work with and i like that a lot honorable mention um for a late round draft pick uh zach tom he is a lineman i believe if i get this right i had the tab open and i closed it how silly of me um i think he's a offensive lineman out of purdue no wake forest i had the wrong color scheme see i messed it up um he <laughs> right was, color scheme wrong school exactly um drafted pick 140 which i think that that was the third or fourth round um so he's a day three pick uh packers love offensive linemen day three picks uh love 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 it is the fiber of their being it is not a packers draft if they don't take one um i think they took a few but zach tom has a great profile uh he's one of those guys that like you just see come if you ever run like the um pff uh like Round four. If you ever run like the PFF mock drafts, he just like always seems to fall to your team and PFF loves him. Uh, six, five, two ninety five. that way it'll go up. Um, but he's very athletic for that size. He's um, a really polished guy. I think he even has versatility, um, left tackle and center. Uh, okay. So that's 
great. He knows how to work inside and out. Um, and yeah, I mean, just Packers, as I said, have been a team that loves to draft and develop late round guys. You think of how much I've talked about Elton Jenkins, David Boxiari himself was a late round draft pick. Um, so it, it's, it's just, it's fun to see more big sweaty men get added to the mix. Um, <laughs> and Zach Tom is one that looks like he could potentially end up being a pretty quick impact guy. Yeah, always good to build depth on that offensive line, um, especially a guy who can play in multiple positions. Um, switching over to the Bears, uh, trying not to freak out. I'll start <laughs> with that. Uh, okay, so a couple good things from this draft. One, I think we found our starter on the secondary corner position opposite Jalen Johnson. That was our first pick in the draft, second round. Kyler Gordon out of Washington. Kyler Gordon. Uh, love to see it. He uh, had some great some great things to be said by his uh, coach from Washington, a school that has produced some, some pretty fantastic cornerbacks in the NFL. Marcus Peters, Buda Baker, um, Byron Murphy. Um, another uh, first-round guy, Trent McDuffie, was from there this year. Um, but – his coach at Washington said he was the best athlete he's ever seen, like best athletes ever coached. So to have that across him, Jalen, um, this is a guy who's been um, able to play on the inside. He's been, he's, he's uh, played slot. Um, so, or outside and slot, excuse me. Um, but he seems like he's going to be day one starter um, filling in that uh, the secondary, uh, a secondary that has been depleted. That's been, you know, glued together and, you know, guys just coming in off the practice squad. So to have him and then our second pick, Jaquan Brisker, a safety out of, um, out of Penn state, another guy who had, he had first round grades on him. People were very interested in him. He kind of fell a bit, um, but the bears definitely needed some help in that safety position uh, considering they only had three on the roster going into the draft. Um, and I think he could potentially be another guy who comes in, starts right away. Like you have Eddie Jackson, obviously at one at one safety position, but then you have DeAndre Houston Carson at the other, who you know had some had some moments last year. But you could see Brisker coming in and, and fighting for that position. Um, he's got a nice combo uh, size, speed, strength. He could definitely be a playmaker, um, and he could definitely turn out to be the best player from this draft um when all is said and done so definitely like those two um but the thing that that does kind of you know I, I like being able to to build up the secondary is obviously something the bears needed going into this draft and the bears needed a lot at a lot of different positions no one player is going to come in and turn this team from you know one of the worst rosters in the nfl to all of a sudden like not you know you know like they're not going to draft a corner a wide receiver in the second round that's going to become you know uh, a Randy Moss type and and change the course of the franchise but it would have just been nice to see us go after somebody who's going to directly assist fields in getting better whether that be on the offensive line whether that be a, a receiver you know just getting him help because we had the opportunity to get a George Pickens or a Sky Moore 
or an Alec Pierce, a guy who was linked to the Bears, a guy out of Cincinnati. Those three all went three in a row in that second round. Um, and any one of those three would have immediately became our wide receiver too. Um, yeah. And instead, third round, we pick up uh, Vellis Jones Jr. Out <laughs> of Tennessee, a receiver nonetheless. Um, but 5'11", speedster, of course. Love to see that. Got some great um, special teams work that he put in. in but he played six years in college. One of the oldest players in the draft. Um, he's 25 right now, like going on 26. Oh, gosh. Not what you want to see out of your rookie. Um, Not great. He was, I mean, he was effective in his time at, uh, he played at USC and then he transferred in his sixth year or fifth and sixth year. He played at Tennessee. Um, yeah, just uh, like, you know, elite speed. Like I said, great playmaking ability, but just not something you want to see for a receiver. You'd like to bring in somebody who's going to be able to kind of grow with fields. But now this guy feels like he could be like fields, like young uncle or something like that, you know? Um, So yeah, not, not the type of playmaker I wanted to see. Uh, But Ryan Poles, you know, he did, he did do something good on, on day three. And that was, he traded a couple picks around and ended up making a total of quickly counting here one, two, three, four, s- six picks on day three. Um, finishing with 11 picks total for the Bears and a draft where they started out with only five going in. Um, so to be able to turn that, you know, do some magic. I mean, obviously, day three, you don't really know what you're getting out of it. It's a lot of guys who could end up being cut before the season. Um, a lot of guys who could just end up being sat on the practice squad for, for the whole season, but you can get something good out of those. And, uh, one guy that comes to mind is the offensive lineman they took in the beginning of the fifth round. And that was Braxton Jones out of Southern Utah. Um, lots of praise for Jones. Um, he was dominant in his time at Southern Utah uh 93.9 overall grade on pff um super long wingspan on this guy and he's pretty explosive so he could be a guy who's fighting for an opening day start on that line that line that is very much in flux that needs um somebody who can like kind of stabilize things over there um he's a tackle by the way uh and and great run blocker so a team that has, you know, two two very one great running back, one good running back uh, in the backfield. Those those two are going to you know benefit from having a guy like uh, like Braxton Jones out there. Hopefully, he'll be able to get some run in the starter position. Um, so overall, the Bears, like I said, we're not going to come into this draft and turn the season around, turn the franchise around um, in one weekend. It was a lot to ask for in your first draft without a without a first round pick, but I think Ryan Poles did a nice job. I think he was able to kind of just grab as many guys as he could, young guys, um, and and just sort of say, "All right, who fits? Who doesn't? Where are we going?" Um, and like he said, he's remodeling the house. 
Uh, we'll figure <laughs> out what needs to be done, what work needs to be done, but uh, we're going to need some more, uh, some more buckets of paint. I think uh, yeah. holes. I think those might be on back order till next year. Um, <laughs> I I really really like the Gordon and Brisker picks. Yeah. Um, I'm just gonna you know go back to that for a second. I think those are two great like pieces to add uh, that immediately will have significant in, significant impact on that secondary that, as you said, so desperately needs it. I also really you know. I don't think this is necessarily even you know a freak out moment. I think this is exactly what should have been expected from the way they talked about the offseason at their introductory interviews, the way that this draft looked going into it. Um, you know, polls at his job. Polls, you look at the GMs that are like considered smart guys that are analytically analytically winning or whatever the hell you want to call it. Sure. You know, you're always making moves to acquire these day three, day two picks because those help you move around and jump to where you want to get guys that you're, you know, you're looking for, you know, mm-hmm. no one draft is you just draft your, your picks and go like, that's not, <laughs> that's not good business. No. Um, uh, because, because the other G all 31 other GMs are going to be moving around to grab their guys too. So um, he took advantage of that, I think. And as you said, 11 total is, is great going forward. It gives you guys that, you know, are going to be those depth guys are going to be those fill out the roster are going to be those, you know, situational pieces, or you give, gets you ammo to go and move up. And like we saw with green Bay, everybody's like, Oh, you gave up two third rounds. Yeah. You moved right up and grabbed the guy you possessed overall. Right. You know, the, your favorite dude in that, in that second day of the draft, whether it works out or not is a different story, but you did the thing you went and got him. Right. So I, I think I think it's you know all things considered I think this is great progress for the Bears. This isn't something we've really seen from them in the last few drafts. Um, save for I guess that's not totally true. They did trade up for Fields last year, but overall didn't really feel like the the um, the, the previous regime had pace had exactly control of what he you know, or a vision for what he wanted to do, and it it very much seems like Poles does and Poles executed to his vision for this draft. So. I think things to look forward to, even if it's not this direct next fo- football season, uh, aside from development from some of these guys, see how these rookies play out, see how Fields develops year two, and hopefully get ready to go for year three and year four of, like, that's the time to compete. Right. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like, especially after the way the the Lions drafted this weekend, it feels like we may have a new worst team in the NFC North. Like, Obviously, we don't want to take too much too much into stock into you know drafts, but the Lions getting Aiden Hutchinson with that first pick and then trading up to get Jamison Williams, you know, to pair with with Amon Ross St. Brown and Swift. Obviously, they still have Jared Goff at the quarterback, but I think they'll solve that next year, um, or maybe maybe this offseason. I don't know what they're going to do, but I, I just think that they are on a good path. Uh, to kind of take that, take another step next year. Um, you know, they finished pretty strong last year, and mm-hmm. I think the Bears are kind of on a downward slope. But it's a process. It's a process. It's a process. Trust, trust it. Trust it. Yeah. No. No. And good call up for the Lions. It brings up a good point. Um, how are you think the Vikings are feeling, considering they traded with both the Packers and the Lions to get them their quote 
big stud wide receiver of the future. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what their plan is right now. Honestly, like I feel like they got kind of fleeced in that first round trade with the, with the lions. Um, and I just don't know where they're going. I mean, obviously they still have Kirk cousins in there. Um, they have a new coach, obviously we'll see what happens with that, but I just feel like they're not doing anything to kind of get past the whole nine and eight, 10 and seven at best type of team. Like they just feel like they're not going to do like proceed to next point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think I, my, if I had to guess, um, this is, Oh no, he's got two years left. I think they're just kind of waiting out the Kirk cousins (laughs) (laughs) contract um he's 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 on the roster this year and next and then he's got two void years uh he rides off in the sunset at 2024 i don't see them resigning him after that they're trying to figure out what they can do while they have him and and look forwards to the future but yeah i would agree with you i don't think they're very happy knowing that um the packers and two divisional foes drafted two potentially significant impact players oh definitely for their offenses off of trades thanks, up with them thanks to them right yeah, yeah. Um, so it should be an interesting year. Obviously, uh, NFL offseason still have a lot to go. Free agency is, you know, going to go into full effect now. And we'll, we'll really see some guys flying around. There's, there's still some big names out there that need to be, uh, yeah, signed second to wave teams. Of free agency is coming. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I want to quick, before you cut out the episode, I want to jump back here. Fun little tidbit about Christian Watson. His dad actually in 1993 was a uh, draft pick by the Green Bay Packers. Oh. Uh, did not play a snap for them ever in his career. <laughs> um, so I think I think anything that Christian Watson does post-game one is already considered a success in his and his dad's eye. But um, hopefully it's a lot more impactful than that. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully for your sake. Uh, what if he's a sleeper agent for the Minnesota Vikings and his dad <laughs> – has a vendetta against the Packers. Now <laughs> that there's would be a, pretty funny. Now there's that's a thought. A, that's a storyline. Who's yeah. who's the old sports writer that wrote like murder, murder mysteries? Oh, I don't know. Oh, there's a book writer. Anyways, what you just what you just sounded <laughs> out sounds like a perfect new plot line for him. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna text you. You'll have to reach out. You'll have to reach out to him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna text you about two days with a name, and I'll be like, "This is the guy I meant." <laughs> but. Anything else before we get out of here? Any other no, fun facts? Hours and hour and twenty minutes, I think, is a pretty adequate episode here. I'd say um, so. If you've listened long enough, we thank can't thank you enough. Yes, thank you for for riding along on this long, strange trip with us. We call up the War ninety four podcast. Um, I am Frank. That is Evan. You know where to find us. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. All that info will be in the info for the episode. Make sure to leave us a like. A five-star review, share with a friend, yada, yada, yada. Um, We love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Adios, muchachos.